Hello and welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in great movies. My name is Ian. And I'm Daniel. And when this comes out, we'll just be creeping up on Valentine's Day. So this is the Valentine's Day special. Mm-hmm. That's what we're calling it because the idea we have is kind of nebulous this week. Yeah, I mean, so the basic concept is movies that we have a significant relationship with with our partner. Um, so even the same way that like certain couples will talk about like, oh, that's our song. And it's always like some horrible song. You know, we have similar things, but it's with films specifically that are like kind of shared between them. Or there's really warm memories associated with watching it together. Um, it's some sort of shared favorite. There's kind of a lot of different ways you can interpret it, but I like the idea of it being, you know, that's our movie. Uh, and my picks will reflect that in the ways my, I think the listeners have come to expect from me and how I interpret the <laughs> the, the topics each week. Because none of my films are... Well, one of them is romantic. One of them is deeply romantic. The other two are decidedly not. But we'll get into it. That's right. Yeah, none of mine are romance movies by any any stretch. Um, although the moment, the moment of my first movie kind of is, but... But I will say that, yeah, all of my all of my picks have like the moments themselves also have connections too. So, mm. well, yeah, there we go. Does your so, uh, well, you were talking about like neither of us have chosen like traditionally romantic movies for the most part. Uh, does your wife enjoy romantic movies? Um, yeah, yes. Okay, so is it you that doesn't enjoy romantic movies? Hey, I I like Wally. <laughs> fair enough i ask because brooke doesn't typically enjoy like a romance no like do you want to watch a love story she's like no if if she chooses that it's she's never going to choose that over like an action movie though that's just yeah makes sense yeah kimberly's eclectic with her tastes Hmm. yeah i don't uh i don't know what it is but you want to like oh maybe it's like like, I think I've told the story before uh, where it was the first Christmas that we were like together. And I was like, oh, maybe we'll watch something like, you know, romantic or funny or light. And what horror movies do you have? Like, uh, Scanning through the shelf. I'm like, I have Rosemary's Baby. She's like, what's that about? I'm like, it's about a woman who thinks she's pregnant with the devil's baby. And like, yeah, she's like, nice. Let's watch that. <laughs> so that tells a lot about how Brooke and I uh, connect and bond. So, no, I am not surprised. No. <laughs> uh, well, shall we jump right into it then? Yeah, let's do it. So my first pick and was the film that I kind of was driving, wanting to do this as an episode in the first place is Sunset Boulevard, which I showed Brooke for the first time and she loved uh, so much so that she actually has a tattoo of Norma Desmond on the back of her thigh, uh, which looks awesome. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty legit. And, uh, you know, like that alone is just kind of special. Um and it's also a movie that like we will rewatch not all the time, but it's always a good relatable go to for us. Uh, and while it's not a, a romantic movie in a way, it is all about relationships and love triangles and really loves arguably love squares or maybe like a love triangle, which is another piece <laughs> dangling off on the side. Um, but it's also a movie that we have fun kind of projecting ourselves into in a silly way. I don't think either of us directly relate to the characters too much, but 
you know, it's fun to take parts of yourself and, and blow them up to the extremes in that film. And listeners might be thinking we're referring, of course, to uh, Norma and uh, Joe, the protagonist played by William Holden. No, no. Norma and Max, the butler, uh, played by um, the great Eric von Stroheim. Because watching the film, one of the things we'll do, having fun with it, is treating us like we're them. And I'm just kind of, you know, uh, very obliging and supportive of my my diva <laughs> Uh, girlfriend whom I, I'm devoted to uh, despite every everything in the world telling us opposite and the main scene that this comes out is towards the end of the film it's a pretty heightened moment part of the climax where you know Joe has uh, figured out that um, the fan letters that Norma gets every day are not actually being sent by fans they're being sent by Max covertly uh, and he confronts uh, Max about it in front of Norma like why don't you tell her where those letters are coming from and Norma being freaking out like that isn't true Max and Max just has the stern look on his face and just says Madame is the greatest star of them all just powers through with that stubbornness um, it's a great scene it embodies a lot of what makes the film great where it's dramatically it's dramatic it's tense but it's also like very funny uh the, the nature of the lies and the over-the-topness and the way they perform, there's a real humor to. And it is fun to play with that scene as like, that's just like us. Like, no matter what, Madame is the greatest star of them all. And genuinely, as much as ultimately it's not romantic, in many ways it's a very uh, tragic portrait of enabling behavior. And you could definitely argue that Max makes things worse by playing into Norma's fantasies and not trying to coax her into the reality of the situation that she isn't a star anymore, that the world has moved on, that she's not famous. Um, I also think there is something maybe foolishly, but uh, romantic nonetheless about Max's convictions where it's like, that's his lady. And he stands by her. Maybe the world doesn't view her as a star. Maybe she's washed up. Maybe she has an inflated idea of her abilities and what she has to offer the world at this point. Doesn't matter. You stand by your woman. Madame is the greatest star of them all. That's my moment. That's uh, the film we share. And uh, I I aspire to Max's levels of devotion to his his loved one. Oh, see, I would have thought you were be Norma. Maybe. You and your YouTube showiness. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Always wanting more close-ups from the YouTube camera. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooke's got the glamour, though. I don't. I, I'm right. a slob. That's right. Uh <laughs> Okay, remind me, like, what is the actual relationship between these characters? Were they... They were married. Were they married? They were married. Yeah, yeah and he was her director at one point. And then, which is another reason that makes the relationship kind of also fun to play with as, like, that's just like us. Because they're not actually together anymore, but he's still, like, so serving of her. Um, which, again, not exactly a, uh aspirational romance, but I do find there's something... <laughs> um compelling to the devotion that he still has for her hmm. i think he was and her second husband he, okay out of how many three hmm. my memory's not perfect on this yeah, typical hollywood stars i mean you know <laughs> it's that's a, it's a funny world that i can't relate to <laughs> i can't so imagine when- being able to afford one wedding yeah <laughs> let alone multiple <laughs> especially in this day and age yeah. um okay so when 
when you watched this with Brooke, I assume you had seen it already. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you would have already been familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, so how long ago would, would you have introduced it to her? Ooh, uh, a number of years ago now, if I know, I'll, I'll double check via letterbox, but it has to have been a while because she's had the tattoo for a long time now. Yeah. Um, like that was one of, I don't think it was necessarily one of the first ones she got, but it was in the earlier batch of things. Uh, I'm going to look this up on letterbox right now. <laughs> well, and was it like early in your relationship? Like, I think so. Yeah. Like it's, you know, we kind of. Uh, I think, yeah, at some point in 2015. So that would have been, yeah, just a couple months. Okay. Within the first year. Cool. So it's like we kind of, and like at that point, it helped that I knew pretty early on, like even before we started dating, that Brooke was interested in like classic movies. So it's not like I had to, you know, segue her into like, oh, right. watching something black and white. Like we were both really comfortable with that. So like she, and honestly, part of why I gravitated to this is just she as a kid had had like a Marilyn Monroe phase. And while this isn't like a Monroe movie, Per se, it is about uh, old Hollywood. It's about a Hollywood diva. It's about the way right. actresses are treated. There's a lot of interest there. And I also just, I had an inkling that the theatricality of Norma as a character and Gloria Swanson's performance would appeal to her and was 100% right. Yeah, sounds reason, like that was a winning, a winning move. I think the reason we gravitate toward this movie is because of like just that hair. I mean, in general, I think that's why the world gravitates to this movie. That character is so singular and compelling um that even if the movie was mediocre you would still remember it for her but especially for us and what we are valuing that's the the sort of appeal for us so is it one that you find yourself keep coming back to yeah like yeah and it's one we also it's also one we quote a lot to each other like again like you know whether it's just norma's general um sort of affect and the way she'll say things in that that very grand and self-important way or again just madame is the greatest star of them all <laughs> um you know it, it's become part of our just like shared vocabulary nice so yeah well that's good that's a good story uh, sunset boulevard it's been ages since i've seen this movie i feels like like it's been a while uh, apparently I rewatched it in prep for the podcast last March. Uh, my review started by saying I still haven't edited the episode yet. I promise I'll get to it, Ian. <laughs> and did you? <laughs> yeah, I must have because it's Excellent. out now. You know, it was a year ago. I did eventually get to it. I'm not that far behind. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I should probably throw this one back in at some point. It's been a long time. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and the fact that it's funny that like Billy Wilder made like actual like romances. You know, The Apartment was one of my favorite movies. Sabrina, which I haven't seen in a long time and I really should revisit. Um, and there a lot of these movies are great. But as far as like the one that I share with my my love, it's like <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, good old Billy Wilder. He's a uh, he's pretty eclectic, too. He loves to do all mm -hmm. kinds of different stuff. I just found out that he made a Sherlock Holmes movie. I got to check it's that one good. out. It's oh, real no, bad. Darn it. <laughs> I, I should maybe revisit it, but it's like it's past his prime. It's oh, it's like bad. Hitchcock making topaz, where it's like, okay. I was pretty excited for that. That's too bad. 
lower those expectations. Oh, it's yeah. funny though with this one, like Sunset Boulevard does have like a more um not that a, it's like a romantic relationship, but there's a very cute flirtatious banter between um William Holden's character and the character played by Nancy Olsen, I believe is the name of the actress, who works for the studio as like a script girl and uh they kind of have a um opposites track thing and it's very cute and very well acted and there's real chemistry there and you can imagine in another movie that being just like a cute little uh romance but then you've just got like this megalomaniacal side character that just like intrudes into that story and is like <laughs> no 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 this is the real love story which is also maybe again emblematic of why brooke and i gravitate to this one so much or it's like oh yeah there's there's the specter of a, of a cute romance but this one's for the freaks. Hopefully we don't find you face down in a pool anytime soon. I mean, Max lives at the end. That's right. So I should be. I guess, he, I guess he chose the right one to. to I did. Yeah. There. I arguably I think he, you know, comes out the best of anyone in the movie. Well, yeah, he's not dead nope. <laughs> and not arrested. So I guess so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I. Uh, I know how to pick him. That's so. right. Nice. Good pick. Good pick. Um, okay, well, I'll go to my first pick, which is Back to the Future. So I picked this because this is my wife's favorite movie. Um, and of course, this is a movie that I've loved since I was a kid, too. So it's kind of like. It was kind of that one of those first movies where it's like, oh, yeah, we both really love this uh, Back to the Future. And. It's. I, I just think it's a almost a perfect movie. Like mm -hmm. almost a perfect movie. I remember Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel like saying that the screen screenplay is pretty much a perfect screenplay. And I, I gotta agree with them there. Um and so the moment I'm gonna pick is at the beginning of the movie, uh, where I guess this is this would be considered a romantic part because it's actually about like Marty and Jennifer, and they're kind of hanging out in front of the um the clock tower, the famous back to the future clock tower. And somebody's like trying to get money for the clock tower and they give them a flyer, like a save the clock tower flyer. And then the scene goes on and then um, Jennifer has got to go. She's got to leave. And so she's her dad or something is picking her up. And so she stops. She comes back to Marty. She takes the flyer and writes her phone number on the flyer gives it back to him and then leaves. And I have never really given that much thought at all. Like whatever, it's just okay. Whatever she gave him his number until the last time we were watching it because two weekends ago, it was minus 45 degrees <laughs> and we did not want to go anywhere. And Kimberly said, let's watch a trilogy of something. <laughs> so we ended up watching the entire trilogy in a row. It was awesome. But when we watch this moment, she's like, she says, she points that moment out and she says, if she doesn't write her number on that flyer, nothing happened. Then Marty has no chance of getting home. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she says, why would he keep a flyer of a clock tower unless she wrote her number on it? He would just throw that away. He's a teenager. He wouldn't care. But the fact that he has that, the fact that means that they know when the lightning is going to strike and they can, and they can make the plan him and him and doc Brown can make the plan to go back. Um, and she says, 
like that's a perfect way for him to have that that's ex that's an ex perfect excuse for him to still have that with him when he goes back in time and i'm like geez you're right i never thought of that at all and it just it really speaks to like just how tight the screenplay is and how how much effort they put into writing this thing and that every detail is accounted for in some way and i mean in other movies people things like that they wouldn't even bother doing something like that but the fact that they do and they put that care into it i don't know it just speaks to the quality of the movie i think yeah it's a good example of like when we say it's you know basically a perfect movie like yeah on the level of like narrative hollywood storytelling three act formula not that it's a formulaic movie but like three act structure um this is impeccable in the way that's constructed uh and part of that is that you don't see the construction when you watch it or at least not the first time or even not the first couple times especially if you watch it young you just see a great story and beats like this are a perfect example where yeah i think your wife is 100 right in terms of like this is essential to the story and uh, you don't really think about it as being such. And that's also part of what makes it fun, because when she's giving him her number, you're not looking at it as a setup for something later. It's just, oh, yeah. their relationships progressing. And, you know, we root for Marty to get the girl, which is also a good sort of it's a simple thing, but a good narrative thing for protagonists to have to to strive for. Um, yeah, it's really smart, really layered writing. And uh, it's the kind of writing you can take for granted because it does look so effortless, but you even compare it to the sequels, which I enjoy. They're all fun. Um, but none of them are even close to the first one in terms of like screenplay no. construction. No, not at all. No. I mean, yeah, I mean, I how many times have I seen this movie and I just never really picked up on that? That's how subtle it is. But yeah, it's brilliant. Well, and... Even thinking about in the second one, there's the matchbook he gets that mm -hmm. ends up being useful. I don't remember why, but I do remember he just kind of takes it. Yeah. And there's not really a reason to. And that's such a, a good comparative point about like, that's a setup. That's like, that's true. You don't know why he took it, but it must be important later. There's nothing in the immediate surface that justifies the choice. So it becomes almost distracting. The only thing you can think of is that he took it for the purpose of seeing if it'll change or not. Right, because he he has that experience with the photo and everything, so he might be doing it for then. But that's not nearly as interesting, yeah, as this is. So. And it's not clear. Mm -hmm. Like again, like unlike this, where it's effortless, like that, you have to kind of stop and try and reason out, and not in a way that's like the movie's challenging you with a new idea. It's yeah. just it's basic plot stuff, but it's not doing it as um, elegantly as the original film. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the original film is it towers above the other ones quite a bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I do like that they like they it does really feel like those three movies do really feel of a piece of with one another. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, not enough that you'll want them all on your shelf together, but no, that's correct. <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh, which is funny though, like because yeah, they do, and yet it's it's kind of interesting. Like people talk about sequels, like you know, Jurassic Park, say, where it's like one great movie and then a bunch of other stuff. And this is kind of a weird zone where it's like, well, it is one great movie, but these other two are also like good and they do connect with that first one for the most part really strongly. So yeah. they're kind of a, an interesting beast in that regard. Yep, they are. 
Um, I'm kind of glad they haven't done a legacy sequel or anything yet. Hopefully that is not in the books. But... I mean, yeah, it's interesting. It's surprising given the complete lack of restraint for other 80s properties. Um, and because it's time travel, you can imagine it would be maybe not easy to make a good legacy sequel, but easy to make a sequel. Like, they're, the sort of ingredients yeah. are there. Um, you consider how, like... I mean, we're we're recording this, I think, the same day or the day after the newest Ghostbusters Frozen Empire trailer is launched, where it's like they brought back Walter Peck. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the big reveal is it's him in the trailer. And it's like, oh, why is he still working? He's so old. <laughs> Let this man retire. Like, he's still running the EPA or whatever. Like, come on now. Oh, boy. Um, and Slimer's back. Well, yeah. Because... Uh, and also sense. the mini Stay Puff Marshmallow men from the first after they're back too. Well, of course they go back to the New York public library oh, and that, that ghost is back. <laughs> it is so like they're taking, like, there's so little of left on the bones of ghostbusters to <laughs> drudge up and they're taking it. Anyway, all that to oh, say, man. it's surprising that back to the future, especially because like we're kind of coming out of it now, but 80s nostalgia in like the the late mid 2010s to late uh, 2010s was like so concentrated um and i think there was some like little for fun things like tv reunion yeah. kind of things but yeah there hasn't been i think there was like a telltale video game that people seem to like but there hasn't been the um the netflix original series or the you know back to the future rebirth yeah i guess i guess with it would be hard to bring Michael J. Fox back for that. I think that would be pretty strenuous for him. Yeah. And and it would be like sacrilegious to do it without him. Yeah. Not so, that that would stop Hollywood executives, but no, that's true. The ghost <laughs> of Harold Ramis would attest to that. Yes. Um, That's a good point. The, the sort of practical elements of it do make it tricky. Uh, and I also wonder if on some level it's just Zemeckis for whatever else you can say about his late period career, having the good sense to kind of put his foot down and say no. I'm not sure to what degree he can control the IP, um, but it, it does seem remarkable that it hasn't happened. So for now, anyway. Yeah, I know Kimberly will be angry if that if it ever does. Well, there you go. <laughs> Hollywood, if you're listening <clears throat> on our on our special Valentine's Day romantic episode would you rob that romantic feeling <laughs> i i would hope not don't so. take away the power of love there you go see this is a very romantic movie it's literally <laughs> all about the power of love that's right i want to say what's the song in this is there a song in the second movie um i just watched it but not to my recollection okay I don't know. I, There's the uh, is ZZ Top in the third one? Isn't are they the the band in the third one? Maybe in the Western. That's pretty sweet. ZZ Top do rule. Do you like that Huey Lewis song? I don't know. Sure, it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty eighties. So when you and and can really first like met and we're getting to know each other, was this a movie that you guys bonded over in the process of getting to know each other? Yeah, I would say it, it would be like a collection of movies. This would be one. The Star Wars trilogy would be another. 
um yeah movies that we just kind of found common ground with nice and we're like hey you like movies too that's cool <laughs> lord of the rings uh no oh no she's, she doesn't like those that's she, right she's never seen them she that's will cool. refuse because she can get very stubborn about not wanting to see certain movies and what those movies are i have no idea but lord of the rings is one of them she just will not interesting that might come back in another pick on my end um yes. which i mean maybe we'll get into now sure let's do it uh so my next pick is the matrix resurrections which is the only pick i have this week that we saw in theaters and there were a couple of movies i thought about for this like movies that were movies that we saw in theaters that were also in some ways romantic films are very emotionally stirring films that we both had these profound emotional reactions to while sitting with each other uh boy in the hair on this year actually would qualify even though it's not a romance it was obviously very you know it's a very emotional film and and rook's got a long history with miyazaki and we also had watched all of miyazaki's films together so there was that baggage but i ultimately thought the matrix resurrections was the better choice because there was a long history of getting brooke to even watch these movies because as you pointed out, sometimes Kimberly can be stubborn about just not wanting to watch certain <laughs> movies. That was Brooke with The Matrix. And I always found it odd because part of why I was like, you should watch these movies is like, I think you will really, really, really like them. Um, you know, she likes action and science fiction. Like Aliens is one of her favorite movies, which is not necessarily like The Matrix, but is enough similar genre hallmarks. Mm -hmm. um, she likes movies about like sort of, cool stoic badass ladies who do action stuff which i'm like trinity's pretty sweet <laughs> um i just thought the basic 90s cool that in some ways has aged less than gracefully but i think the matrix movies still pull it off that it's actually still cool would appeal to her and i ended up being right but it was a long road and i think part of it was because i was so like we got to watch these together that it just instinctively drew up a response of no <laughs> i don't want to just by virtue of that so one night we were we were in undergrad. It was like a Saturday night and we had had some drinks with my housemates. And then we went off to watch a movie because my friends went to bed or went to work on an assignment or something. Uh, and I just put the movie on. I didn't even tell her what we were putting on. I just put it in the player. I'm like, it's it's on now. It's out of my hands. So <laughs> she kind of stubbornly was like, okay, fine. And then we watched it. And um, as I'm one to be, I was correct. And she loved it. And uh very quickly was like well we got to watch the second one and she really liked the sequels which was like huge because i did say like a lot of people really don't like these ones i do especially reloaded but it's a it's a lonely road sometimes although it does feel like more and more of the world's coming around to like the sequels are actually pretty good too which is very vindicating for me to see <laughs> um yeah but they do that for everything i wouldn't feel too yeah but these mighty. actually deserve it and also, this one is actually stuck around because sometimes certain movies will start to get a revision and it just doesn't stick. Like, people tried that with the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but those movies are trash and they can't be saved. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, if you, like, saw them when you were a kid, I'm sure they stand out to you. as like, that's what real superhero movies are. No, they're corporate trash. They're as cynical as the worst Marvel films, and they are worse than the worst Marvel films. Yeah. Um, foot down on that tangent aside. <laughs> Um, but she really enjoyed them. And then to the point that when by the time Matrix Resurrections was coming out, we had seen them all the Matrix films together a couple times and the Animatrix. So she was fully on board and into it. And so when the trailer hit, we were both like, 
really just completely swept up in it and so excited. And sure enough, like right when it came out is when COVID started to ramp up again and the pandemic was getting pretty scary. It's like, okay, there's two films we're going to very strategically make it out to the theater for licorice pizza because Paul's my boy and I got to be there and Matrix Resurrections. And the moment I'm choosing is kind of, it almost doesn't really matter, but it's the first time in the film that Neo and Trinity talk in the coffee shop. And Trinity has that line about like, have we met? And they're, we as an audience obviously know their, their history. I don't think in the film we're quite clear how this film is playing in relation to those ones continuity wise. Like if it's the same character, if it's a simulation, like those details get revealed at this point, we don't know, but we do have the context of those other films. Um, so we as an audience are like yearning for them to figure it out and they're tiptoeing around it. And even though they don't know each other, that that chemistry comes right back. And actually I would argue, um, is even stronger than it was in the other films, which I think is in some ways just reflective of where Lana Wachowski was when she made that, where the, the original Matrix trilogy, they are romantic films. Like the Matrix one basically has this fairy tale kiss resurrect from the dead kind of thing. But it's very clear that the the ambitions and interests at that point are the action and the style. Mm -hmm. And with Resurrections, the action is still interesting, but it's not nearly as uh, sort of precise and and just fully calculated as it is in those first movies. It's really more about the the grand emotions and the relationship between these two. And those scenes of them just talking in the coffee shop, getting to know each other and even starting to confide, like Trinity talking about her husband being dismissive of like, doesn't she look like me in the video game and laughing at her is so like affecting and moving. Um, and really what I wanted to reflect on is just kind of Brooke and I's journey in from, oh, I really think you'll like these movies. I don't think I like them. I don't want to watch them to then watching them together, loving them together and having that as something we kind of shared to then sitting in a theater in 2021 as a deadly virus raged all around us. Um, <laughs> so invested in that theater and watching these two just get back together and rooting for it even before we knew the full scope of like i don't know what's happening how we got here what's transpired between revolutions to now but i know i want these two to fall in love again and being so committed to it uh and i it's another little moment i'll sneak in i think i mentioned it when we did our top 10 for that year um yeah. when neo is talking about Trinity at this point doesn't know, but Neo does about their past. And he has a line where he says, you know, Trinity believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Now it's my turn to do that for her. And just being like, so like on the verge of tears, so invested into all that. And uh, I thought that was a wonderful thing to come to after a sort of long journey with uh, Brooke and I in these films. So. Nice. Um, yeah. One thing that I found was really interesting about Resurrections is, just how much they actually leaned into the Neo and Trinity relationship. Um, and the movie is so much better for that. I think if they didn't do that, I think this return would have just kind of come and gone. Mm -hmm. Like if they just tried to be like another action movie, it wouldn't have worked. But the fact that they tap into what we know about the characters and how we as an audience feel about them after a 20 year absence it works like it really works. Mm -hmm. And I think where they end up taking the movie and, and like how the movie ends, I think 
I'm still, I'm a little fuzzy because I haven't actually seen it since theaters, but I remember being really moved by that too. Just like how front and center Trinity ends up becoming. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it works. I think they focused on the right things when they made this movie again. Yeah, I do too. And it comes down to also that question of like, why, why do the reboot? Like our conversation with Back to the Future. Like if you're going to resurrect this thing, what's the point? And obviously from Wanda Brothers' perspective, it's it's an IP that we, it would be, you know, from a business perspective, it would be irresponsible not to mine this for all it's worth, <laughs> uh, which is horrible, but it's true. Um, but for Lana's perspective, it's like, okay, well, what story do I want to tell? What yeah. am I interested in now? There's a really moving uh, interview she did where she talked about um, her father had passed away and being grief stricken and then having this moment of realization of like, well, I have these characters who they're not real. And yes, they're they're dead in the universe, but, you know, they're fictional. I can bring them back and latching onto that as a special thing. And that comes through in the movie because, yeah, like the the science fiction elements are interesting and the action scenes. I think people were way too harsh on like, oh, the action's bad. The movie looks bad. I think the movie looks really good. It's just that the first matrix is one of the greatest action movies of all time. And whatever you want to say about reloaded, that freeway chase is one of the greatest chase scenes of all time. So, you know, the bar is really high on action. And I also just don't think that's really what is interesting her at this point. Um, yeah. But that, that human story and those characters are so compelling. And I, I like the romance fine in the other movies, especially in the sequels where they really start to develop um, that as a center point. But as much as I'm a fanatic for the matrix, they were never like my favorite thing. Um, in a lot of ways, I was, I liked Morpheus more as a character in those older films and Smith, of course, Smith is the right. best, but uh, was surprised by just how invested I was into the romance in, in resurrections in part, I think because, because of the fact that they're in the simulation and they don't realize their full history at the beginning, you can have scenes with them that you couldn't have in those other movies. You yeah. know, when they're just sitting it, down and having coffee. They build this sense of yearning, not so much with the characters, but with the audience by having the characters distant to start mm. with. They, they build that sense of yearning for us um, that we just desperately want to see get paid off, mm -hmm. which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And I certainly did. I was uh, thoroughly swept up in it. And I remember when Brooke and I left, like, that's what we talked about was the yeah. the romantic aspects of it nice so, so that's the yeah. closest thing you're getting from a, a full-on love story in any of our picks heading this week <laughs> well, that's pretty good <laughs> that's pretty good i think we've met our quota <laughs> yeah all right so sid and nancy it's a great time watching <laughs> she hasn't actually seen that yet but i do think she'll like it yeah well you also thought i was gonna like it <laughs> well you know i was uh i misjudged yeah I didn't think you'd like it as much as me, so I was correct there. <laughs> that you're, yep, that you're right. I thought the nice. acting would win you over. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't I know. I mean, that's, that's Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, President Truman. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, The Matrix, I, we saw this in theaters, too, and it was, it was really good, because, yeah, The Matrix was the one that Kimberly already liked when i saw her so I, but oh but she had never seen the other two 
Oh. So she went into this one not seeing the other two. Interesting. Yeah. And she said it worked fine. Like she okay. said everything kind of made sense and yeah. she didn't didn't feel like she was missing a step. So Well, that's the other thing is it's interesting that the film is so it's so embedded in those other movies and I really appreciated how much it was like a follow-up that addressed the history. And I really love the hints of what like the in-between three and four and what that world looked like. There's right. that great bit where um, Naomi's talking about the statue being built of Morpheus and saying like, he loved that. And I had such a <laughs> chuckle thinking about knowing the character and his sense of self-importance. Oh, it was great. But at the same time, like it's not um, to use the parlance of Twitter. And I kind of have to semi swear. So forgive me. It's not a glup shitto movie. You know, you don't need to be just like geeking out over like references to other Matrix stuff. And they're there like the Merovingian comes back. I never right. thought I'd see him again. Um, but the the human story is really the core of it. And you don't need any. I kind of think in some ways you could almost go in. I would be curious to see someone going into that film, having seen none of the other Matrix movies mm. and what they make of it. Uh, obviously, it's not going to hit the same. But I wonder, like, is it going to play generally? Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know. So you need to find someone who's never seen the matrix and doesn't know anything about it. That's right. We'll just ask all of our guests. There you go. But I'm sure they all have had max. Oh, that's a good point. No, he hadn't. All right. We got to get him to watch resurrections first. Yeah. If you're listening, max, go watch matrix resurrections. There you go. Nice. Okay. Um, well, I'll move to my next pick, which I decided to pick as a movie that I like better because she likes it so much, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm going to go with 2015's The Big Short, which is the mm. movie about the 2008 um, housing crisis in the U.S. And the scene I'm going to talk about is a scene where uh, Steve Carell's character, who's who's a investment banker on Wall Street, um, they're kind of the the movie follows these people who are predicting the f- collapse of the housing market, and they're going to try to benefit from that by shorting the housing market. But first, they got to figure out if this is real, if the the housing market is about to collapse, if there is a bubble, and so they go down to Florida, and I can't remember why Florida, but they go down to Florida and they kind of find this, their fact finding and they find that, oh yeah, there's these houses that are a either abandoned because nobody's paying the mortgage on them or people are living there, but their landlords are not paying the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. And they end up interviewing two real estate in, real estate agents from down there. And they come off as these like ridiculous frat bro kind of guys. Um, and they're talking about how they like, uh, do ninja loans, which are like no income, <laughs> no job approved. And <laughs> where they'll basically give loans to anybody because they don't really care whether they pay them off or not later. That's somebody else's problem. They just want their big commission checks, their big fat commission checks. And then they're, they're bragging about how they're, they've got boats now and the cars that they drive. Um, really douchey guys. And, <laughs> uh, and so, and they're talking about how, like, and meanwhile, Mark, who's Steve Carell's character and, and his his co-workers, they're 
questioning them on how they get away with this. And they're like, oh, they're like, how do you get the loans approved? Oh, they're like, oh, it's easy. Like we have these ins and outs and we we can walk around this and and it's no problem. And so then they kind of step away from a second and Steve Carell looks his look at his uh looks at his co-workers and he's like, because they're basically confessing to negligence, like complete negligence in their job. And he's like, I don't get it. Why are these guys confessing? And they look at him and they're like, I don't think they're confessing. I think they're bragging. <laughs> they're like, and, and then he's just like disgusted by that. Um, and so, so are we. And I remember that, that scene. I remember Kimberly is always just like taken aback by that. He's just like, how could they, how could they do that? Um, uh, because she's, I mean, she's got, she's, she knows about, you know, financial stuff. She's pretty good at that kind of stuff. And, and she's just disgusted by the lack of regulations that, that were going on at this time. Um, but I decided to pick the big short because, so my wife, um, has an economics degree and she was in business school in 2008 when everything was happening. And basically she's like, She's like, that was the best time of school because we'd go every morning and the profs would just talk about the next thing that's been happening and the next thing that's been happening and the next bank that's been closing. And she's like, and it was fascinating kind of getting the ins and outs and learning about how all this works. So when they made a movie about this, um, we went, we just kind of went to the movie like we always do. We're always going to movies. Uh, But she was like, she came out of that movie just in love with it. Like she was like, that was right up my alley um the fact that she already kind of knew quite a bit of stuff going into it uh she really connected with the material she liked the way that it was presented um and so and since then it's been one of her favorite movies and she likes throwing it quite a bit so it's kind of and because of that i i see the movie kind of through her eyes a bit because i know that you're not a big fan of of, i like um, it this one I, I don't love it. I I very much was viewed it as the Wolf of Wall Street light when it came out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've actually been meaning to give it a second look in part because for whatever else you want to say about it, it's proven to be quite influential yeah. um, in all sorts of ways, like certainly on other movies, but also even, and this is not its fault, but the uh, sort of uh, Reddit Wall Street community, the sort of... Uh, that side of things is very much view this as like a, a Bible, um, mm. which is I don't blame the movie for by any stretch. Like, I'm not trying to throw shade at it or say that it had a pernicious influence or whatever. I just think it's interesting. Um, and I'd be curious to rewatch it now in a post uh, NFT world, in a post like uh, GameStop stock world. Um, but also just in some ways, because it's like I remember not loving it, but liking it. OK. And Adam McKay's subsequent movies getting so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, you're not a McKay fan. Well, the last, I mean, I thought Don't Look Up was like truly terrible. And I rarely get like, I don't know, angry watching movies anymore because like life's too short. Man, that movie was <laughs> just exhausting. Um, I don't know what it's, it's just anyway. Uh, so I've been curious to go back and watch The Big Short because I remember while I had didn't love it being thinking it was like a solid movie that did what it set out to do pretty effectively. And I like the moment you chose. Cause I also think it, 
and I'm I'm not going to explain this super elegantly because it's been I haven't seen it since theaters, but it kind of foreshadows a bit at the end in terms of just the the transparency of it where, you know, why would they confess is like they're not confessing, they're bragging like it's there's no shame because there's nothing in this context that they think they need to feel shame for. Like that doesn't yeah. even enter the equation um, because with the Steve Carell character as well, there's this bit towards the end where uh, he's wondering why. Uh, I don't remember exactly the details, but something about why the banks aren't taking more action to protect themselves, basically. And at the end, they all get bailed out. And he says they didn't care because they knew they'd be, you know, and the sort of raw, like the anger that comes through of that, because that's the thing. Like, and this is also why I think this movie works in a way that McKay's subsequent films and especially Don't Look Up don't work is this one is very funny and it's very playful and humorous, but there's this undercurrent of genuine outrage at how the the wealthy and the connected were able to gouge people and their livelihood and their homes and their sense of being able to live while enriching themselves and facing no consequences and the movie manages to have both of them exist pretty harmoniously whereas like don't look up the anger has like overtaken it to the point where it's mm -hmm. like it's not funny though you're just mad yeah. and i get why you're mad but I agree with you and I'm kind of sick of watching you talk about it. Um, <laughs> but this movie handles it really well. And this is a good example. This scene too, a good example of that balance in action because yeah, it is like irritating to see these douchebags brag about screwing people over and harming and making the world less inhabitable and the economy less sustainable and contributing to the collapse. But at the same time, there is a humor in how transparent it is and how oblivious they are. And to the line of, you know, they're not confessing, they're bragging. That stuff's all funny. Yeah. Um, it's why and, this movie works and his others don't. And they do have a nice little um, cap off a little bit later where they see the two guys like in line at a job fair for like Ikea or whatever, because after the collapse, they've obviously lost their jobs and now they're kind of. Mm -hmm. yeah so i like that part too at least someone got some comeuppance yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i will um, say another connection that we have is that a good chunk of this takes place at caesar's palace in las vegas which of course is we love caesar's palace we go to see we love going to caesar's palace that's our place nice it's like we were watching it the other day and then there's a scene like at the um at the caesar's rooftop uh pool area and we're like oh yeah we've been there probably been right <laughs> on those chairs amazing um yeah i uh i'm curious have you have either of you seen the documentary inside job she has okay i was I wondering like i don't know if it, like she seems like she's she knows her stuff so i don't know if it's like a must see per se but i imagine it would just be fun i remember really enjoying it when i saw it back in like i don't know high school i was pretty young but uh, handles the same material in a drier way, but still a really informative and entertaining way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she saw it. I can't, I don't think I did though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. There we go. Did Big she like short. The Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, she's a fan of that one. Well, I'll, uh, I will rewatch this at some point because I do feel like I probably owe it a second chance. It's, there are some like, you know, the trappings that he throws in to kind of spice things up when you, when you watch it, like you don't really need that. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the, the fast talking dialogue is enough and the, the quirky characters are enough. And Ryan Gosling's douche 
douchey character is fun and all this like margot robbie in a bathtub is dumb that that being said there's like some of those things he does works like the uh, blackjack thing with selena gomez he actually ties it to the context of what he's actually trying to explain and that makes sense mm-hmm. there's some stuff that's just dumb <laughs> yeah and i also and wonder if they're not necessary if part of it plays worse because of how his career has gone since like if he he kind of like done that style here and then leaned a little away from it because i think now when i think of him moments like margot robbie explaining how you're you and the audience are too dumb to hear financial advice so i'm gonna be in a bathtub and explain it just echoes like the post-credit scene in vice where the the liberal and the mega guy start fighting and the girl turns to her friend and says i can't wait for the new fast and furious movie and you just hear mckay being like you idiots are too concerned with pop culture and not the real issues it's like buddy you made anchorman chill out (laughs) (laughs) but like if if it weren't for like that moment plays with margot robbie worse now because of those films and i didn't love it in the moment either but i would imagine that's it's even worse now um I also seem to recall the Brad Pitt storyline feeling just like not as good as the other th- major ones. Yep, that's fair. Um, not that it was bad, but it was just like there's a lot going on in this movie and this one is not really adding as much. Yeah, I think I like Steve Carell's stuff the best. That's usually yeah, agree. where it's more interesting. Yeah, I, I mostly because he's got that he's got that kind of moral morality edge to him. That's that I think works really well, especially mm-hmm. in a scene like this. Yeah. And I remember him giving a pretty interesting like performance. Like it just had that like sort of there's there's sort of disgruntledness to him all the time. Mm-hmm. Um that worked pretty well. Uh yeah. I, I'm it's this is I gotta say, when we devised this Valentine's Day special, <laughs> this is probably the last movie I would have expected yeah. to see show up. Um but you make a good case for it. And I must say it, it does sound like it'd be a fascinating time to study economics in two thousand eight. Like yeah, wow. I don't think so. Yeah, and, a, and a scene like this kind of highlights like you know the lack of regulation and how much of a problem that was mm-hmm. and because like, i remember kim really keeps saying like thank goodness we're in canada where we're actually regulated yeah well this is also a good thing like i one of the things i'll say too to this movie's credit is like crystallizing why that could be a problem because when you talk about like lack of regulation it's very easy to have that in such abstract terms that you're thinking about well it's constraining businesses and blah 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 and actually showing, well, this is what a lack of regulation can look like. Mm-hmm. And it's so transparent. And you, maybe you could argue it's like, I was going to say, you could argue maybe it's an over-the-top portrayal of like the, the sort of uh, like a worst case scenario, but it did happen. So yep. <laughs> you can't really, you know, dock points for inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of use there, especially when like deregulation has been, you know, pretty more so in the States, but has been like major position for 40 years now yeah that's true. so um well i'll uh switch this to something lighter and talk about a movie about drug addiction and drug abuse uh i talk about fear and loathing in las vegas <laughs> and i don't have a ton to say about my moments so we might get off this very quickly uh i mostly just chose it because and forgive me listener for being corny but it is valentine's day I mean, not when we're recording. It's still January when we're recording, but, you know, bear with me. <laughs> and it's hard not to get a little corny and romantic. There's something so wonderful about just hearing your partner laugh and laugh hard and uproariously. 
And some of the hardest I've ever heard Brooke laugh in my life is the first time we sat down to watch Fear and Loathing. And I'd seen it before, but I I had a feeling she'd enjoy it, especially because one, as like a teenager, she had a, a Johnny Depp phase. Like I think a lot of, you know, teen girls who grew up in the 2000s did. And I was like, well, you want to see a real interesting Johnny Depp role. <laughs> Uh, but also like knowing that she liked pirates when she was a kid and how his physicality is so important to that character and to the sort of the quirk of this uh, quirkiness of that character thinking like, okay, like I think fear and loathing is going to scratch that itch in a similar way. So we put on the film and it opens with uh, um, Johnny Depp and uh, as, as essentially Hunter S Thompson, it's not in name, but that's who he is and um, Benicio del Toro. And they are um, on drugs blasting down the Vegas desert, um, hallucinating, seeing all sorts of strange things. We see the reflections of bats flying in Depp's glasses uh, as if they're surrounded by the swarm. And at one point the car pulls over and we get like a sort of disorienting off kilter close-up of Depp looking around frantically, all sweaty going, we can't stop here. This bat country. And then the floor in the car again, and him kind of, you know, flying out of frame and Within just the first 10 minutes, this whole section and then picking up the hitchhiker who's played by Tobey Maguire with long blonde hair who looks completely spaced out. And Depp question him like, I forgot about the beer. You want some? Uh, no. How about some ether? What? And like so, so totally out of it. And Brooke just guffawing and being in such high energy cackles of laughter. Delightful. And I treasure that memory. <laughs> Uh, it was so nice to put something on and be like, I think you'll like this. And within minutes, she's like on the floor. It's like perfect. Nice. So nice. So that's my pick. Nice and simple. Lots of laughs. It is simple. Um, I don't think. Yeah. You would you would decide, hey, you like pirates. Let's watch Fear and Loathing. That just seems exactly like something you would do. I mean, I was right, though. So you can't you can't judge me <laughs> too harshly. Because it worked. That's fair. I guess you did pick um, the fly for our first Valentine's Day, <laughs> yes. which I do think is a is a heart wrenching love story. This one isn't a love story in in the slightest, uh, but it made Brooke laugh, <laughs> and that warmed my heart. Excellent. So and, would, did she? I assume she liked the rest of the movie. Then? Oh yeah, yeah. I think we've watched it at least once more since that first time together. And we quote, like, again, like talking about quoting, like this, we can't stop here is back country is something we've thrown around with each other. <laughs> um, so, and like nice. I said, it was just, it was like, it was so instant. Like the second the movie started just like crying with laughter. And that's pretty rare. Cause the other thing is like, not that we have completely opposed tastes in comedies, but there are different things that all gravitate to that, don't quite are not quite as much of a sell for her and vice versa so this being something we could laugh at together was pretty great nice well there's something to be said about a movie winning you over early right like mm -hmm. if the fact that this is early on in the movie the jokes work people are gonna if if it works for somebody they're it's going to be a much easier time for the movie to win them over throughout the whole run. Right. And the movie can get away with, you know, the things like disgusting puke scenes or whatever. <laughs> if you're already bought into the movie oh, as you're watching it, disgusting puke scenes. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, <laughs> you might be thinking of a different movie. You think about the fly still. Oh, maybe, maybe I don't think that happens in fear and loathing. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's something too because like once you once you start laughing, it's easy to continue. You know, mm-hmm. like you'll give you kind yeah. of you're giving the movie the benefit of the doubt at that point. Yeah, that's um, very true. So, uh, which is good with this movie because like, yeah, it gets pretty gross and it also gets really dark. Like it's not it's not really a comedy. I don't know. I guess it is, but it's so depraved and it's on such a knife's edge in terms of just the the desperation of the characters because they're they're not necessarily requiem for a dream or train spotting levels of self-destruction but they are using a lot of drugs and unhealthy copious amounts and are not being (laughs) supervised um and so there is that that sort of delirium you get with those movies does come through here and gilliam is so so good at like making films that look unpleasant Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that it can be an exhausting watch. Like I know we've got friends who hate this movie. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah. Do you hate it? I'm not a fan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I think it's amazing. I think it's really funny. I could watch it again right now. In fact, I'm kind of talking myself into it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the fact that I think also like starting with this is also good to let you know, even that it's OK to laugh at the movie that right. even when it's getting dark, it is also meant to be a little bit funny, too. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I get I can just see like it's been like I have seen it, but like a long time ago. Um, But I can picture like uh, Johnny Depp saying this line in his very Johnny Depp way. It's his best performance. Yeah. Put my foot down on that. Interesting. I I even like Ed Wood. Careful, yeah. Philip is gonna send us another long email about <laughs> Ed Wood. I love Ed Wood, and I think he's great in that, but I think um Fear and Loathing is like it, it takes the best advantage of his skill set, I think, as part of it. Hmm. Cause so much of like he's not as far as like actors go, I don't think he's necessarily the most like complex or can hit the sort of levels of emotional depth. Um, but he's very like physically versatile and he's willing to go out on a limb, which has been a problem because past pirates, he starts to not really find good outlets for those instincts and he kind of yeah. becomes a parody of himself. Um, but this this role allows him to go big and over the top. And he's also matched by a director who his style is so gonzo and aggressive and um otherworldly that he doesn't feel out of place i think actually the final line of the film sums up its position perfectly just another freak in the freak show uh (laughs) it's not the exact quote but like that's yeah like he doesn't feel out of place in this world despite the fact that he's like this train wreck moving through scenes that should be so easy to spot and stop but he actually fits right in in this crazy world that gilliam concocts and that hunter s thompson's writing uh, creates um yeah i think it's his best work nice sweet yeah it's always good to make him laugh mm-hmm. yeah. i guess well should i move to my last pick yeah our last big romantic movie for the night you yeah. uh yeah so i said i mentioned earlier that there was a series of movies that when we first started dating we kind of found common ground with and star wars is one of those movies um she really loved the trilogy and so did i and i thought that was pretty cool so um so i decided to say yes to a second date no (laughs) 
don't know. <laughs> uh, no, we, uh, yeah, so we've, we've always kind of loved those movies. Um, but like all the movies had been out by the time that we got together. And so when the new movie Force Awakens was announced, that was pretty cool because now we could watch a new Star Wars movie together. And that's an exciting prospect for two people who really love the old movies. And so when Force Awakens came out, obviously we were there like opening weekend and it was pretty cool to like experience new Star Wars together. Um, And it was very exciting. And we both like, we both loved the Force Awakens when it came out. It was like a return to what we loved about Star Wars and it felt fresh to us and exciting to us. Um, we even went to see it a second time in theaters, which is not something we ever do. I don't know. Are you somebody that goes more not than once? super often? No, it's... I think I did with at least the first two of the new trilogy just because, but it wasn't because I'm like, I got to see it again. It was more like, well, I'm going to see it with this group and then right. this group wants to see it. Yeah. With us, it was just like, we were just hanging around on a weekend and she's like, why don't we go see Force Awakens again? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the moment I'm going to talk about, because all my moments have kind of been ones that, moments that my wife has actually pointed out to me, right? So they're kind of coming from Mm -hmm. her, I guess. And so this one's the same same way. Um, It's the scene right before they kind of leave for like the final you know, the final plan, the final battle to go save Ray and everything. Um, and Han Solo's kind of getting the Millennium Falcon ready. And then Princess Leia comes and says goodbye to him. And so they have this kind of last scene together. Um, and they hug and everything. And it's it's very sweet. It's especially with these two characters that we we know very well um to see them and what ends up being their last moment together. But there's a line that she says when they're when they're hugging and she just says, if you see our son, bring him home. Which I think is nice because, of course, I guess we're getting into spoilers, but honestly, it's Force Awakens. It's Star Wars. Who cares? Um, Their son, of course, is Kylo Ren, who is turned to the dark side, who is the villain of the movie. And. And so, I mean, okay, yeah, obviously she wants her son back. We get that. But there was, I can't remember if it was the second time we went to see it or the first time we watched it at home or whatever, but I remember talking about this movie with Kimberly at the end and talking about, like, Kylo killing his father, killing Han Solo and Han Solo's death. Um, And there's this, you know, the scene where, just before that scene where Han sees him could get away, right? Could sneak off with Chewie and get out of there, but doesn't. He calls to him, and I'm like, and, you know, because I know what's coming at that point, and I'm like, oh, man, he does it. And she's like, he has to. He has no choice. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Leah, and it's like, Leah told him to bring him home. It's like, Leah sealed his fate when she said that. Like, he he had to do it, even if he knows that it's not going to go well he has to like try to fulfill that wish for her this one last time. And I'm like, Holy cow. I never really thought about it like that. Like it just adds this whole like tragic layer to their, to those characters. That's I think really compelling. Um, 
and it's kind of like weird to think of like Leia kind of doomed Han Solo in that moment, uh, but she kind of did, and but not you know not on purpose obviously, but just in the desperation of a mother, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, and so again, that's a moment that was deepened for me by Kimberly by you know just her observations that I don't always get that I always appreciate a little bit more and I think it adds to I I always fight against this idea of Force Awakens being a copycat and I think I might be fighting against I think you sometimes have that opinion <laughs> but I do think that there's I do think that there's some other things happening with Force Awakens other than you know, just being a copy of the old movie. And I think something like this relation, this new relationship between Han and Leia and how it's like basically them mourning a child as a certain emotional context that I wasn't really expecting from it that I think that I do think adds to the film. So yeah, Force Awakens. Yeah. I mean, I, to an extent I'd be critical of its mirroring of uh, episode four um, but not to the point of it ruining the film. I still like the movie a lot, and I do agree with you that there are other there's other things this movie's doing that the original Star Wars is not that hmm. separate it. Um, and a lot of even what I would say in terms of it copying the other movie is also just like the fact that it's so transparent, like even down to like Ray's also from a different desert planet. Yeah. And on some level, it's almost admirable because it's like we're not going to try and trick you into thinking it's not like we're going to be upfront about it. So you could argue it's better, but it does also strike me as like, you know, you couldn't. Well, she comes from like, a, I don't know, a jungle planet or something. I don't know. But um, I do like this scene and I like uh, I, I think that's a good observation that um, Leia is the one who not to say she's responsible, but th there's it's again, it's kind of a setup to like bring him home. Like, yeah, he does have this moment. And because of that, you know, sort of comment, he's honor bound to, to try, even though he knows th that it might end in his death because he's vastly outmatched by his son. Yeah. Um, and it does add a tragic layer to, it's not really played up in the other movies, but Leia then it's something you as an audience can project into her character of like to what extent does she maybe feel a level of responsibility and how that compounds her grief that it's like my son killed my not husband, but my lover at one point. And, you know, the, the guilt you would already feel having your, your kid go that route, but then also for it to be kind of because of your instruction that those characters were sort of confronted each other in the first place. Um, yeah, and I also, I think that speaks to something else is I, I heard people criticize the scene when it happened of like, it was so obvious, which is like, yeah, it's not trying to trick you into thinking he's not going to get killed. Like right down to the, the big runway, the dark, the lack of music, the, the dark lighting, the fact that Harrison Ford has been very vocal about wanting Han Solo <laughs> to die since 1983. Like it's, it's, it wants you to know what's coming and to be yeah. aware and have that dread that like, you know, it, it it's it's inevitable and inescapable. Um, yeah, I think it's a good good read of the scene. Yeah, so. and it's it's kind of nice, like having Kimberly's perspective on these movies because she doesn't. 
she doesn't really partake in you know all the online junk I like was going to ask like that. she's kind of free of all that like she just she just takes her own opinion of the movies and that's that and so is it, every subsequent Star nice. Wars movie still like fun to go to yeah essentially yes <laughs> so well, that's it's nice. not fun for a lot of us now <laughs> Yeah. Although I, I say that I still enjoyed going just to see all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That is a good point. Like you wonder, like people who aren't like brain poisoned by the internet, <laughs> uh, especially with this, because it's interesting to think about how, and maybe this is me being roasted into glasses. It's not like there weren't controversies with this first movie already. You had like the anti-woke racist brigade who were upset because the trailer had a black guy in a stormtrooper outfit. <laughs> Um, yeah, but which, they don't need to be paid attention to anyway. Oh, the, absolutely. But it like it felt like there was a certain, and even you talking about like now we get to we both love Star Wars our whole lives, and now for the first time we get to share one together in the theater. There was that kind of attitude towards this, towards Force Awakens when it came out that was going to go away with the sequels no matter what because mm-hmm. then it's just the next one. But um, that air of like I don't know, it was like a wholesomeness. Yeah. Uh, which in some ways is also why I think the that movie being s- kind of point for point so similar to the original is kind of more forgivable because of the context of what it's coming out and because it wasn't designed to be a standalone movie. Um, now, I've heard people make the argument that in some ways its success has been a harbinger of doom because it's kind of the legacy sequel that's functionally the same movie again has become more common. Um but I don't know. I don't blame Spielberg and Lucas for their lesser imitators in the 80s. I'm not going to blame The Force Awakens for inspiring Ghostbusters Afterlife. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I think people have short memories because when this like I agree with you, when this movie came out, there was a level of excitement that existed a before, but also after like mm-hmm. like opinions on this movie were overwhelmingly positive yes and the last time that ever happened yeah and i think people forget that we they forgot how much that we were all in love with this movie when it came out um but i haven't <laughs> so <laughs> so there we go it is interesting to think about how the receptions tilted i remember rogue one people being pretty positive and i was a bit more lukewarm like i liked the mm-hmm. movie overall but i think we're in a very similar position yeah um and then it was actually really funny <laughs> i think we were talking about this with brooke the other day seeing the last jedi and just think and not really having the context of the reception yet and being like that was a pretty good star wars movie it flirted with being like really good at a couple points but overall it was like pretty good and then was like shocked when I saw people being like, this is the best Star Wars movie ever. I was like, really? And then I was <laughs> flabbergasted when I saw they ruined Star Wars. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, it's like, did I see like literally, did everyone see a different movie? Because it yeah. just seemed like another, I don't know. It didn't seem that different <laughs> in a positive or negative way. I was like, it was a pretty good one. Apparently not. Yeah. Well, so. Anyway, can't win them all. No. But Force Awakens, loved it. And do you still love it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I was wondering if it was like, because I haven't seen it probably since around when The Last Jedi was coming out. Oh, really? Yeah. Well. Huh. And I'm wondering, like, 
having that trilogy at the whole context of it, how it's going to change. Because my guess is like Last Jedi in general is going to go up because it's kind of the only one that stands on its own. Not mm. that it's like it's obviously continuing from the last movie and leaves things open ended, but it's not unlike The Force Awakens. It's not a lot of like set up and intrigue for the future. Right. And unlike Rise of Skywalker, it's not trying to summarize nine films i don't know why that one was like positioned as like the end of the saga it's like i thought it was the end of like this trilogy yeah but for that reason last jedi in some ways even though it's it's the most like toxic to talk about because of the online discourse as a movie unto its own it feels like it's got the least baggage yeah i can see that so yeah at some point i'll I'll rewatch them yeah my view on it is just kind of like what whatever they've done with the the series that Disney has done, they gave me two great movies that I love, and so I'm pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. Would I have liked three great movies that I love? Yes, but I got two. I'm pretty sure. happy with that. I hey mean hey that that Mandalorian movie is coming. Yes, that's, Grogu yes. and the Mandalorian. <laughs> because there's one thing that people like of Star Wars now, so uh, it's the next movie. Yep. What a magical time. <laughs> um, there we well, go. it's good. I like that you were able to talk about kind of going back to before all that baggage. and That's right. You know, and I do think that speaks to our sort of our romantic movies in a sense, movies that we share with our, our loved one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think it's a good selection. People will look at the lineup for Valentine's Day special to be like, what the heck is going on? No, they'll be like, but... of course, <laughs> it's these two. Yeah, like we, nice. you know, I don't know, like Hearts and Flowers, like we did that last year. I mean, I took I chose the fly last year, but you know, <laughs> still, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I mean, in some ways, though, this is I would argue this is sweeter. You know, like we could talk about like, well, this is a romantic movie, and this is why it's, you know, this is what it says about relationships. But it's a lot more honest to be like, well, this isn't really a romantic movie, but the person I love we have a connection to it right and that is i think a lot more um revealing and honest and probably maybe more fun for the listener too you know we get to pry into our personal lives that's right that insider <laughs> drama <laughs> so nice well do we want to move to some uh listener feedback yeah let's we've, do it we haven't done that in a while um okay so we've got some people commenting on our best of 2023 uh said says uh it's great and he enjoys all the movies nice okay thank Good. you thank you said uh gunner says he liked the museum scene in the holdovers oh uh, yeah yeah lots of movies have the it's the old versus young dynamic to them so it's refreshing to see a film where it acknowledges that they're not so different and can bond and grow yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a good scene uh, we got quite a few responses for first-time watches of the year. Nice. So Marshall said that some of his favorites were Room, which I'm thinking is the Brie Larson one. And uh, I would guess. <laughs> There's no the in there. Yeah. Uh, United 93, which I'm with you. I think that's a fantastic yeah. movie. I really need to rewatch it. I don't think I've seen it since I was like... 13 maybe yeah well it's not an easy watch it's <laughs> no. not when you just throw on willy-nilly um and to 12 angry men nice and then he says movies are cool man 
Yes, yes. Marshall. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, Carl says Buster Keaton jumping through a man's chest and Sherlock Jr. Made him grin like an idiot. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't know how Buster does any of the things he did. It's easier for me to believe he's just like engaged in some black magic. <laughs> uh, Gunner says he likes the elevator scene in Old Boy. Nice. Um, and the under pressure scene in After Sun. Speaking of just quickly, like Old Boy, I saw that, rewatched it in theaters, uh, I think back in October. And realizing with an audience who had never seen it before. And it was very fun to watch them be like, get, have you seen Old Boy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When they get to like the big reveal and just being like, uh, <laughs> what is happening? It was, it was really exciting. Cause I assumed like anyone going to see this must know the movie and love it. Cause that's, that was Brooke and I's vantage point, but not everyone. That's interesting. <laughs> and it's fun to see it. it still plays, man. Nice. Yeah. Um, and Owen says one of his favorite of the year for the first time was Billy Wilder's one, two, three. And he says it's a blast in one of his most underrated films. Interesting. I've never seen that. Neither have I. Um, Neither have I. And then we just got a couple more. So classic sci-fi. Owen says, without giving too much away, I love the moment in the film seconds where Rock Hudson's character gets drunk at a party and begins to reveal too much. That's a good scene. That was um uh, that was Manchurian candidates director. Right? Yep, John Frankenheimer. Frank- yeah. Frankenheimer, yeah. That's his other like best movie. Um oh <laughs> and Justin made a comment on our uh modern sci-fi Edge and Christian aren't brothers. <laughs> Kayfabe shattered. Kayfabe, Dan. Kayfabe. <laughs> so I am assuming well, you want to know what that means. I yeah, don't. I mean, Edgy Christian are brothers, but Adam Copeland and Christian Cage are not. <laughs> okay. As a wrestling fan, that was a pretty good joke. Trust me. Okay. I'll take your word. I'll take your word for it. Actually, it wasn't nice. that good, but it makes sense. And that's all that matters. <laughs> oh, boy. Um... Okay, so thank you everybody for sending in your mm-hmm. sending in your comments. Good picks um, from all. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys want to leave a message, you can do that at Spotify as well. We usually leave a little question up, and you can put your responses in. Mm-hmm. Um, you can email us at cinema and seconds at gmail. You can tweet at us cinema underscore seconds. And that place is slowly dying. Holy cow. What, our Twitter? Just oh, Twitter. Twitter in general. <laughs> Just Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been saying for a long time it's my trash pile and I'm going down with the ship, but it's getting, it's, getting it's also getting bad in ways that are like, one, irritating because the like, it, it's so weird to say it this way, but it is true. The quality of ads is going down. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. getting a lot more of like clickbait style, like you won't believe what, you know, or if you can guess these questions right, like we'll know, know your age or something like just very basic sort of click harvesting prompts. But also like the moderation is just non-existent. There's so much transparent, like overt racism and yeah. like, like just to an insane degree, like no dog whistle, like full on out in the open. 
And you'll report it, and it's like, we didn't find anything in violation of our terms and services. Like, you sure? Because <laughs> it seems like it should be. Because um, for a while, I was, like, kind of laughing at some of the the lack of function. Mm -hmm. um, because, it, I don't know, it's 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 comforting to see Elon embarrass himself. But some of the stuff is, like, hard to stomach. And so. for some reason, Twitter seems to think I'm really into the NBA. <laughs> I don't know where they got that idea from. Well, here's something that's irritating. The, the uh, Because of the stupid blue check privileging, it, search engines are just busted now. If I want to tweet something at, like, you or Justin, because you don't have a blue check mark and you don't have, like, a zillion followers, I have to, like have every detail of your name perfectly right before you show up in my searches. That's gross. And it's like, I tweet these guys all the time. Like, how is it this? This is like basic functionality stuff. This is stuff that did work two years ago. So you can find us there at cinema underscore seconds. Exactly. <laughs> I am working at getting an Instagram. I thought you did have an Instagram. I did. I just forgot what it's called and I still forget what it's called <laughs> and I don't have my phone with me so I can't look it up. Did you follow me? I didn't know you were on there. Oh, I'm on Instagram. Okay. I'll get you followed. I'm going to search cinema in seconds and see what comes up. Stay tuned for, for oh, what to found find us on Instagram. It's uh, cinema in seconds pod. There we go. Uh, one follower. Now two. Excellent. <laughs> So follow us there and I'll try to post the episodes up there too. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's all we got today. I think so. so happy, uh, happy Valentine's day, everybody. Mm -hmm. Watch one right. of these movies with your partner. That's right. Maybe not fear and loathing, but maybe, I don't well, know. You'll know if it's for you. <laughs> <laughs> Within the first, once you get to pad country, you'll know. Yeah. If you are laughing uproariously in that first couple minutes, you're golden. If you're confused, <laughs> you're less golden. But keep going. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. Nice. All right. Do you got anything you want to tell the people? Um, I have no idea by the time this goes up if my video will be ready or not. So there's maybe a video up on Eyebrow Cinema. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I've been Ian. And I'm Daniel. And we'll see you next time.